Hello and welcome to the Safety Goals Podcast with Justin Torres and Charlie Wan presented by Interfree. This is episode 12 with our special guest, Josh Opiola. Now usually this is where Charlie would interject with some fun facts and information about Josh, but today he's not here to record this intro with me, but he will be a part of this episode, so it's my duty to make sure that you guys know all about Josh and what he's going to bring to the table. So Josh is an injury-free team member, and he truly has a great aspect of understanding how sales work and overall just the market of youth sports. He's going to go into just talking about his life, how he grew up around sports, it really did impact him in a great way, and he pushed it on to his kids where they love playing sports. His son plays golf, his daughter plays hockey, and frankly, he's just an absolutely great guest. I know you guys are all going to love him and everything he has to talk about. So without further ado, let's get into the show. Okay, everyone. So we are here with Josh Opiola, and uh, we are excited to have you it's been a long time coming we've tried to get this done for a few times but finally we've got you on the podcast i know myself and charlie are super excited to hear all about what you're gonna have to say and the first thing that we always like to start out with with our guests is just if you can give our listeners a bit of background on where you've come from your schooling and kind of what's led you to where you are now certainly well justin charlie thank you so much for having me it is my pleasure to be here i really appreciate it um, my background is, it's kind of interesting how I got here. And I think it kind of relates to a lot of other people who've been in the youth sports world for, a, for a long time is a lot of us were at a meeting or a registration for their kids at one point or another. And they asked or said something they probably long-term regret short-term thought they had to say it. And because they asked that question, they were moved into a position where all of a sudden they're doing one thing. The next thing you know is you're, uh, you know, in my case, a president of a hockey association and uh, also working directly with uh, the USA Hockeys of the world on improving athlete safety and background screening. Um, that's that's really how I kind of got into the youth sports world, um, you know, really helping out with my, my daughter starting to play hockey. Um, my background in schooling is kind of interesting. I went to school at St. Cloud State University here in uh, Minnesota. Um, I went to school for political science and history with an emphasis in philosophy. And look at me now. Um, so it is, uh, it's kind of funny. I ran a couple of campaigns right out of school, um, realized I was a little too vocal for politics, if you can believe that. Um, and kind of looked behind the curtain, didn't like what I, uh, I saw and wanted to move, move on from there. Um, have been in sales and software sales and management for, geez, 25 plus years now. Yeah, 25 plus years of, of sales, business development, and, uh, and leadership. So it's been kind of interesting. And relationships. That's the shortest version. Lots of lots of uh, good people out there that have continued to move around the market, but also, you know, creating those relationships and then maintaining those relationships has been another uh, area where you spent a lot of time and uh, you've seen a lot of change over that period of time. Oh, yes, uh, it has been. It's been really, really interesting watching the dynamics change within youth sports and especially with those uh, those relationships that you mentioned, Charlie is you get involved and you get invested um, with these individuals. Um, there are so many who aren't 
clients anymore. They are, you know, close friends um, where we get together and we just talk about things. And I think that is, you know, that's akin to a lot of the youth sports world is we're all very like-minded who want to do the best for the kids. Um, and you say that um, knowing full well, there's uh, there's a lot of revenue that's attached to youth sports in this country. Um, but the reality is, is nobody here in this in this world gets paid a ton of money in the youth service world um, and youth serving world is we don't. So the vast majority of us are not in here for to make billions and billions of dollars. We really want to see kids playing sport. And that has been, you know, one of the the biggest contributing factors of why I've made some of these, you know, really close relationships for a long time is because, frankly, it is just it's all about being honest with them on what's real, what's not real, what they need to do, what they don't need to do, as opposed to, oh, my God, oh, my God. And, you know, screaming that, you know, the sky is falling every two seconds. So that's really kind of what I try to do. Uh, in most cases is just, you know, be totally frank with these individuals, especially in the, the athlete safety world on things. When I start talking about stuff, it's, you basically have to do a lot of the things that I'm talking about. And Josh, look, a lot of our listeners are going to already have learned in these first, you know, three minutes that you are a very intelligent individual who knows what they're talking about. How often do you find it that you go into these meetings, meeting new individuals that the knowledge basis for them is actually at a lower level than you'd expect for someone who has to deal with a new sports. You have to be really careful with this one. Um, it, the, the reality is, is that most of the individuals we talk with and we work with um, understand that they don't know everything about athlete safety and risk management and the world that is coming around it. So the vast majority of them are wise enough to say, I need some help. How do I do this? What do I need to do? What is the the biggest impact that we can do to ensure the safety of our athletes, whether that is reduction of injury or abuse and misconduct in, in youth sports, is they, they really come to myself and a couple others and just say, hey, what do we need to do to improve the process? Um, but there are the ones that are out there that and, and this is akin to every single industry in the world is those who think they know everything are the ones that are usually the most dangerous um, and the ones that, you know, have a tendency to make really rash and quick decisions on processes and changes, but they might not be the right ones. So I really talk to a lot of people that are, you know, very understanding and compassionate that raise their hand and say, I don't know what is next. How do we do, how do we make it better? Or what can you do to help us out? And that's you know, going back to what you said about you know, the type of people who end up in these leadership positions typically are coming from being a coach or a parent somewhere along the line. And so it's not like it's no fault of their own that they're not versed in the ever-changing world because there's so much noise, right? I mean, there's been a, a lot of market and industry shifts over the last 20 years mm-hmm. um, that really have made it difficult to navigate and keep up with most of them on a regulatory aspect. I mean, we've seen a ton of new laws, not just federally, but state level that are very difficult to keep up with. And so these folks, when they're coming to these volunteer positions or, you know, they're paid positions, but under, under source, under resource, um, it can be confusing. And that's where, you know, having a trusted partner like yourself, somebody who, you know, has been in a space helps make those difficult decisions uh, along the way 
But I mean, you know, providing the guidance and helping them clear that noise away, I suspect has got to be a big, uh, big part of the conversation. You know, it, it really is, Charlie. And that's why these individuals, you know, they'll, they'll call and say, okay, we just heard about XYZ. Is this something that's real? Is that something that we don't need to do right now? Or is that coming down the pipe? Um, one of the biggest changes that we've seen so far um, with the implementation of the Safe Sport Act of 2018 um, is the the ever-changing environment there um, and how it is implemented and at what levels it's implemented. When the law was passed, it was really directed at um, the USOPC or the United States uh, Olympic and Paralympic Committees and all of the national bodies underneath the Olympics. So that, that in turn garnered a lot of confusion and a lot of uncertainty um, for organizations like an AAU of the world, a Little League Baseball of the world. Are, do they have to be a part of this? Are they not part of it? You know, if you're traveling interstate, now does interstate mean if I'm on an interstate highway or does it literally mean I've got to cross state borders? Those types of questions, those types of concerns that, you know, the astute leader within these organizations are raising their hands saying, all right, I need some help on this. What do we need to do? And, you know, the law says one thing. Do we have to do what the law says because we're not part of this? And helping these organizations navigate this, you know, ever-changing minefield is, I absolutely love to do what I do because I'm helping people out kind of, you know, get rid of a lot of the gray area that's out there. And especially with the Safe Sport Act, it's been so incredibly gray. But I think, you know, as things progress, everything is slow. Um, you know, I always, I always joke around that everything is between a three and a five-year plan um, out there. So we're at the five-year level for the Safe Sport Act being done. There's going to be more and more changes on what's going to happen and how it's going to be implemented from the top down. That's going to include far more than just the Olympic body and Olympic movement or sports. Sports are in full swing 24-7, which means athletes are bound to get injured. Luckily, there's Interfree, a software platform used by youth sports organizations and schools that was developed to help coaches, parents, and administrators communicate injuries that occur and ensure a safe return to play. These sports safety networks are essential for sports teams working to provide the safest possible environment for their families. For more information or to schedule a demo, please visit www.injurefree.com. That's www.injurefree.com. Yeah. You know, Josh, I got to ask the question. I mean, you know, when you think about these types of organizations and we're talking about state level um, governing bodies or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, even national governing bodies, you would think that there would be resources other than Joshua Biola out there for them to yeah. turn to. Right. Why is it that, that there's such a need for you to play that role in this market? What, where, where, why, are, if there's federal legislation, why isn't there federal, federal support for our governing bodies? Well, I think that that's, there's, that's a phenomenal question, and it is literally probably the $20 million question. Um, and I say $20 million because of budgets for the Center for Safety Sport. Um, there are others that are out there doing these things, but they haven't been ingrained in it quite, quite as long. And the federal government has not come down to that state level yet um, to say, hey, this is what's going to be implemented across the board for all youth-serving organizations. And we talk about these things and it's like, it is not just youth sports that are affected by this. It's, we have to start thinking about the, the term youth serving organizations. So YSOs, not worth 
youth sports organization, youth service organizations. So we've got, if especially with how the safe sport is being implemented and that the safe sport act is being implemented, it by, by its term, it is sport. Sport is involved in there. But I think we're going to see some changes coming up quickly. That is going to be more of a youth serving. Organizations have to do a lot of these different things. And, you know, the government right now is um, stretched very, very thin. And, you know, everything goes through cycles. And right now, um, this the Safe Sport Act and what's happening right now is, is not a priority. Um, and, you know, on some levels, I can completely understand that. Um, I can understand that this isn't a priority because, frankly, at the federal level, it really shouldn't be a priority. I mean, there's other things that are bigger, grander, that are, are taking up a lot more time and headspace um, within this country that need to be addressed sooner um, than this. And that's where we can come in as an organization, where I can come in as an organization and help mitigate those gaps, um, mitigate those gaps between what federal requirements are, what state requirements are, frankly, even down to some of the county requirements um, is between now and when the federal government does decide to get in a little bit more involved. Um, that's where we can really, really be a great resource to organizations to help them, you know, kind of navigate this and help them navigate to making sports a safer place for everyone. Um, you know, reducing concussions, reducing abuse and misconduct, um, overall injury management. That's where we can come in to really uh, address those those gaps that are out there. Because the, I'll tell you, the the idea of the Safe Sport Act is absolutely brilliant. It was far, far um, well overdue. Um, and we can all attest to the, the overdue nature of it. But how it was written, it was left far too many gaps and far too much gray area. And we just have to fill those gaps as best we possibly can until the, the resources are available to, to do so. And we've seen that in the past, too, with this type of legislation, like the concussion laws where, you know, everybody was rubber stamping the Zach Lightstep law out of Washington, but it wasn't applicable to all youth sports or certain you know demographics. And so now we're still seeing reform on that legislation. It was the right thing to do, but it wasn't implemented in a way in a thoughtful manner that was um, not customized, but personalized for each different state or region in those areas. So we can expect that to continue to happen. But you know, we, we still don't see resources being written into those legislative pieces of legislation. So there's no support. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's just do this and they, everybody's kind of left saying, okay, but how? Um, mm -hmm. And that's kind of where we come in in a, in a larger picture is to be able to provide and offer those types of solutions so that organizations have that. You know, going back and looking back at your career, though, and kind of the time that you've spent in this space, why is it you find yourself here? in this market? Why do you find yourself on the, on the, in the position of a service provider, given the landscape, you know, you, mm -hmm. you, you could have, you could have had the opportunity to work with state and or national level organizations focusing on sports safety within one channel, one specific area or geographic. And here you mm -hmm. are on the out other side, the outside quote unquote yeah. of that, of the, of these, of these organizations working to solve and provide solutions, but still acting as that resource. So why, why is it that you're here and not inside the machine trying to fix it from within? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a loaded question. Well, A, the bureaucracy of getting anything done within these organizations is very complicated. Um, and 
once you're involved in those organizations is you're you're kind of backed into a corner on <clears throat> excuse me on what you can and can't do very simply you have to answer to multiple different people in order to get anything done <clears throat> and a lot of these states and a lot of these national governing bodies want to go to an outside resource to have them come in and go in front of these individuals and say this is what you have to do because the person that is in that safety role within the organization could go I, I didn't make these recommendations that are going to cost X, Y, Z of dollars. This is what's being asked of us. So the reality is, is that you can do far more good on the outside of the machine than inside the machine. We can make legitimate change in a much quicker time frame than going from the inside out. Um, we can go from the outside in to make these changes much, much quicker. And in turn, is we're going to have sport be much, much safer in the short term and in the long term because of this. Um, so what I've seen is like <clears throat> since the beginning of, let's see, 2011, 2012 with, you know, the background screening era, okay? That was like big background screening time. So for the last, say between 2011 or so and 2021, you got 10 years there, Background screening was the number one priority. Background screen, background screen, background screen, everybody. We're starting to see sign of kind of this, this kind of flux away from it. And I don't want you to misunderstand. Background screening is very, very important. Okay. Background screening is an important part of an athlete safety program to ensure that you're getting the right coaches with the right character out onto the pitch, out onto the ice, out onto the field in order to manage these kids. But you have to ask yourself what the goal is. What's the goal of our organization? What's the goal of Injure Free? What's the goal of the Center for Safe Sport? What's the goal of, you know, U.S. youth soccer? What's the goal of USA hockey? The goal is, is to increase revenues, increase participation, not necessarily in that order, and provide a safe environment for these individuals to play. And in order to truly ensure that you're getting a safe uh, environment for these individuals to play, background screening is going to do a part of it. That's going to check a box, but how you're going to make serious change is on the education piece, is educating parents and coaches. And I say parents first because the number one missing component in youth sports is the parental education on all levels, from the, the U6 kids playing their first time soccer, getting a parent educated on what proper conduct, proper behavior is what good injury management is. If your kid gets hurt, you know, what do you need to do? Um, because as much as we try to do this, kids are still going to get hurt in sports. No matter what, no matter how, they're going to get hurt running in the backyard. It does happen. Um, but what we're seeing is that education portal and that education portion is how we make significant change. Background screening in conjunction with like what the safe sport's doing on safe sport education, their, their four-step process on educating the parents, getting these individuals out there. And so we're not putting all of the effort and all of the responsibility on the coaches. Parents, administrators all need to take a little bit more accountability on this. And the more educated the parent is about this, the better the overall health of youth sports is going to be. And that's no. a broad stroke too, right? When we've got so many yeah. different parents out there that and you're, you've got new parents coming in every year that have never yep. been participating in this and many of them never played sport before. So they have no mm -hmm. familiarity. I mean, that's something that just from a, from a system foundation, 
needs to be laid. And, and we can build upon that with more refined programming for specific nuance, but really it's that educational piece that's that's mm -hmm. gotta be the base of that. And it's not the it's not the letter of the law, right? That needs to be delivered. No. It's the intent. We can't just have these yeah. checkboxes. We've got to have folks actually participating in, in knowledge transfer in order for it to be successful. What one hundred percent? So, yeah, Josh, I want to ask. Obviously, you just mentioned, you know, the involvement and awareness to be educated as a parent is something that is extremely important in the youth sports market. But you've been working in the youth sports market for a while. And mm -hmm. in that time, I'm wondering, is there something that was like your biggest eye opener? Because you said that what you do is essentially try and hold these people's hand through the, you know, <clears throat> the minefield. But that does mean that you had to go through that minefield on your own. In that mm -hmm. time, was there something that really just popped that you now take with you and make sure that every single client is aware of and you think is kind of your holy Bible that you're going to follow for it? There's actually been a couple of instances um, that have done it. Is One is really, really digging into the Safe Sport Act of 2018 and reading that, that law. Um, reading it, understanding it, reading it five or six different times to really understand it and went, oh... That was my response was, oh, because I'm a relatively intelligent person when it comes to this side of sports on athlete safety and, and, you know, abuse and misconduct prevention. When I read it and I went, oh, like that, I'm like, okay, if somebody who's never been exposed to this before has to read this law and then has to implement this. They have, they're, they're not going to have any idea what they're doing. No okay. clue. And chances are, you know, they could make a, a catastrophic mistake. Okay. Because they just made a, a simple error in what they thought the law was. Um, and usually it's, it's not that big, but when I read it, I went, Oh my God, there was just, just my brain exploded and said, here's an opportunity to go out there and educate is, you know, again, dummy everything down is dummy it down to make sure that, you know, everyone, regardless of education, can understand why this was written, how to implement it, and what the heart of the law was. Not how it was written, but what the heart of the law was. The heart of the law is written that it is, we want to educate coaches to prevent abuse and misconduct within youth sports. Okay, that's it. If you see something, report it. It has to be reported and it has to be investigated. These are all things that are super important, regardless of if you're part of an Olympic movement sport or not. This should be implemented at every single level. If you see something that, you know, I've always used the gut check. Um, and whenever I've given these talks, it's like, okay, how, you know, somebody will always raise their hand. How do you know? And the answer is, is if it looks like it's and it's making you uncomfortable, chances are something's wrong because the people that are seeing this, chances are their parents and they're going to go, ooh, you know, just get that that bad feeling. Trust that bad feeling and, you know, text in, say, hey, I just saw something that I really don't know what it was. You know, it's like seeing a UFO, right? It's like, I saw something up in the sky. It, I don't know what it was, but it was moving really fast. But you're still going to make you wonder. So document what you saw, send it in, and worst case scenario, nothing happens. And there was no fault you know, kind of next to worst case scenario, best case scenario is that, oh, you did see something. It was inappropriate conduct, inappropriate behavior. 
guess what? You can now investigate this and you have now stopped something that could have went on for generations, years, months, years, or generations within these, some of these individuals that you have now stopped something. So you have prevented uh, something horrific from happening from a kid that will then be able to play sport and nothing happened because of it. So that's, that's really the, the gist of it. And it's so funny Josh, too, because I was going to oh, say, sorry. Justin, those, 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 those social environments too, that you're describing the, 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 Parents being educated on how to look for grooming behaviors, for example, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that's something that has to come through education, like you said before. But the gut check feeling as a parent, you see something, you're like, mm, you know, why wouldn't you say anything? And it's those, well, there are another parent on the team, or it's the coach mm -hmm. who, you know, is just out there volunteering, or there's a lot of these secondary um circumstances that we run through our head that kind of justify or maybe I you know if it happens again I'll say something type of situation right, right? um yep. but it's always those it's that it's that it's those social hesitations that are really the open door that the environment is being created in I mean we're allowing for these things to happen it's that it's like that saying you become what you allow and yep. if we allow this type of behavior then that's the type of environment that this is going to become where and it is where mm -hmm. child abuser, you know, child abuse um, happens. Uh, we have sexual predators in the in the market in the space. We know that they're yeah. out there right now, um, and yeah. we're trying ev to do everything we can to prevent that. But it's the see something, say something mentality that is difficult to employ. Um, but you know, how so how would you suggest creating that culture? What's what is that culture of transparency, and how do you create it that allows you know, for the saying something and being wrong and being okay. And that's okay. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. So it is again, back to the, the process of getting these things started. And during the, these conversations is if I'm going to give a talk at an event and it starts with one individual seeing something, saying something, and then it will continue to move forward. And it's, but how do you get that one individual to do it? Because just like you said, Charlie, is chances are that that's the, the coach of your kid, right? That that's the coach of your kid. If I say something, oh my God, what, what if I'm, you know, what if it's just innocuous? What if it's not? What if it's, you know, all these questions. And then it goes to, if I say something, my kid's not going to play anymore. It's going to get out that I'm, I said this. I mean, these are real things, you know, and it, when you say it out loud, it sounds absolutely like you're a lunatic. But this is what's going through parents' heads is if I see, if I say something, my kid might not be able to play. Or if I say, what if I'm wrong? I don't want to hurt this guy's career and his livelihood or anything. Here's the answer is what if what you see is really what it is? How can you in turn live with yourself knowing you weren't able to stop this and you had the ability to stop it and you did not? That's, that's where it comes down to it. That's the conversation you have. And it does take time for this in that type of environment to start roll forward. It's like, I always laugh. It's like the, you go onto a, the Facebook, um, you know, if you've got a HOA or anything like that in your neighborhood, everyone is willing to say whatever the hell they want about somebody not picking up their dog poop. Right. But if you see uh, your kid, you know, being grabbed by the arm and pulled behind a, you know, the shed or something, or if you see, somebody else's daughter 
being grabbed and pulled behind a shed. You don't know who's pulling that person behind the shed, but you know it doesn't feel right. No, it doesn't look right. It's like, just say something. You don't necessarily have to get involved. Worst case scenario, you, go, you dial 911. Let the police handle these things. Let them do it. It's okay to be wrong in these scenarios because it's the best time and best opportunity for you to be wrong because no human being that has any sort of soul whatsoever wants to see a child get hurt, either physically, emotionally, sexually, period. You just don't want to see it. I mean, for God's sakes, I can't even watch movies where kids are kidnapped or anything like that. That's who I am. But, you know, there's other people that are out there that, um, you know, they're okay with some of these things. And it, it's not. We have to start bridging that gap between, no, nah, it'll be just fine, to that's not right. That is not right. That's not how you treat kids. That's not how you treat anybody. You know, you see a fight. Are you going to see a fight and not break it up? I'm not going to break it up if there's two guys going at it. But I'm, I'm calling the cops, you know, so it's okay to be involved at that level. Not many youth sports administrators began their careers with the dream of negotiating insurance rates. Most have the love and passion for the game and saw it as a way to inspire the next generation of youth athletes. However, nowadays insurance can be the single greatest cost for a youth sports organization. At American Sports Insurance Services, We've done the work for you and created the single most comprehensive youth sports insurance program on the market. We did it by aggregating the largest youth sports injury database in the world. Let us do the heavy lifting and represent you for all your risk management needs. For more information or to get a quote, visit www.getamsys.com. That's www.getamsys.com. And that's the smart move because look, at the end of the day, like you said, you could always call 911 and the idea of 911 is that you're able to continue to report something with an anonymous, you know, intent. You don't want to be held mm -hmm. responsible for your words, but you do want to make sure that what you're doing is taken care of and, you know, checked up on. Yeah. So in the yes. youth sports market, if you're not going to go to 911, are these mm -hmm. all going to happen to just directly correlate with the you know, school or the organization? Do you know who you report to? And are you able to keep these things anonymous in-house? Or do you have to go to a third party like, you know, the police if you're going to have to report and remain anonymous? Because you're absolutely right that the fear for your own child's ability to continue to play with possibly their friends, other teammates that they've gotten to, you know, really enjoy being a part of a sport that they really enjoy. Those are things that you as a mm -hmm. parent would never want to take away from your child. But at the end of the day, you're right. If you were to report that and it was correct, you were going to feel a thousand times better about having mm -hmm. reported it and taking your child out of that scenario and environment. So when this is all said and done, isolate what you just said, because what you just said, if it's in any other environment outside of youth sports, it would be absolutely I'm calling the police. Absolutely I'm doing this. There is no question if I saw some kid getting, think about, think about it this way. You're driving down the street and you see some kid get grabbed and pulled into a van. Are you not calling the police if you see this? Okay. Why would it be any different that you're out on a baseball field and you're watching a kid get pulled behind the dugout and hit 
he screamed and yelled at, pushed to the ground, all those types of things. Why is it different? It's not, right? It's not different. And at no point in, in our society should it be considered different. Is you're still harming a child, period. Now, where do you go to report these things? This is also part of where the Center for Safe Sport and um, the Safe Sport Act has, there's been gaps. And there have been big gaps because within the law, it says you have 24 hours to report something, period. You must report within a 24-hour period or you could be held accountable for this. If you see something, you've got to report it within 24 hours. And then everyone's hand raised, goes up and goes, where? Well, anywhere. And, and well, anywhere is pretty big. Anywhere is a big space, right? So do I call the police? Do I call... Um, you know, the president of the association, do I call a safety coordinator? Do I call this? Do I call the coach? Do I call another coach? Do I call an assistant coach? You know, the list goes on. You know, so there've been some problems with that. You bring up a really good point just in general that, you know, a lot of different scenarios can happen and arise from these, but the best thing is to be cautious when it comes yeah. to abuse. You mentioned that, you know, a coach could possibly lay a finger or hit or harm their player. But abuse doesn't just have to be physical. It can be verbal mm. and mental. And we've seen a huge change in recent years, not only just in sports, but in one of the most harsh environments in all of, you know, the U.S. is being in the army, probably. They no longer mm -hmm. are going to curse at you and break you down to demoralize you and not make you a human and just tell you how it is. They understand that that can be detrimental to someone's progression and development in whatever program they're at. So have you seen as of maybe the last five years, abuse being taken, not just as physical abuse, but as mental and verbal abuse towards players. Oh, and personnel. yes. Oh, yes. Yes. I mean, as Charlie and I could probably attest better than you, Justin, is that back in our day, it was a whole different animal. Um, it was, it was a much different animal back, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Um, and, <laughs> Just the war stories. Um, yeah. you know, I played hockey growing up and you, you know, we'd have coaches shooting pucks at you and things like that. And, um, you know, standing on the boards, they'd shoot pucks at you and, you know, yell and scream and swear and all this kind of stuff as, you know, you look back and you go, Oh, those are the great memories. You look back after 40 years and they're kind of funny, but you really think about it. Like as a 10 year old kid, you're sitting there going, goddamn coaches shooting hockey pucks at us, you know, yeah. and trust me, our gear wasn't nearly as good as it is today. Um, you can't do those things. And, you know, you can toughen kids up without shooting hockey pucks at their heads. And you can make them stronger and mentally stronger by doing many, many different things. Um, the, the intimidation factors have greatly decreased, um, you know, and just, you know, helping kids grow and achieve through positive reinforcement on occasion but also understanding that there's penalties for, you know, not following rules, not following direction. And, you know, then it's going to come back to the parents' understanding of the same rules that they grew up. And, you know, it's like your, your kid was 20 minutes late to a practice again. They're, they're not starting. And the, then the parents start yelling and screaming at you. So the coaches are in a really odd position with this. But, yeah, um, if you're being verbally abusive to kids, it's, it's never in a good place to be. Um, and those those types of coaches should not be out there um, doing the same things because it has just as much of a 
a negative effect on a kid's psyche and ability to grow and achieve what they want as they do is, you know, physical abuse, if not more in some occasions. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, what you're describing too is a societal reflection. I mean, you know, you, you, you would hope that people would be able to speak positively with adult, adult to adult, but it also is a microcosm of um, we teach what we know. And in these volunteer mm-hmm. positions at scale, youth sports relies on a large number of volunteer parent coaches who don't have a lot of formal training on athlete development, let alone child psychology um, and ways to, you know, be positive and get those same results. So we result on how we were coached and there's that cycle, mm-hmm. right? Verbally screamed at to run faster, hit harder, whatever it is, as opposed yep. to, you know, other opportunities. And to your point, you can still create mental toughness through tough situations and perseverance, but it doesn't have to be verbally abusive in order to be there. Um, in yeah. fact, having more support is actually more, you know, quicker, quicker learning experiences to get through those tough times. But I think it is also an understanding that when we enroll our children in these environments, there is an assumption that the organization is taking steps to create those safe environments and that they are also um, creating this piece. But that hasn't always been the case, right? I mean, yeah. Like you said, we have went through sport, youth sports where it was definitely not an expectation. Nowadays, no. it's happening more and more, and we're beginning to see that train leave the station, that safety is becoming a differentiation in the market. Um, yes. And it's probably easy to see that. Where where are we now in the industry, in your opinion, from a top-down, top-of-the-pyramid NGB status down to your grassroots? Where do you see right now, how far down is safety a an becoming an everyday thing? where it's ingrained into the organization, they're implementing programs, you're seeing it as part of an operation? Or is it anywhere yet at that level? Um, It's getting better than it was, you know, eight years ago. Okay, eight years ago, it was, oh, yeah, we got to do something here, and we better do something. And it was usually just to do an insurance. You know, insurance made us do background screening, so we got to do background screening. Um, now it is on the list of things, probably it used to be probably 20, number 20 on the list of 20 things to do at the very bottom. Um, I would say it's in the top 10 now. Um, but if you look on a lot of these organizations, websites, um, you know, big and small, regardless is you'll, you probably would be hard pressed to, to see on somebody's front page of their website that athlete safety is their priority. And those who do it, um, you're going to see a, a massive increase in participation. If they advertise, if they market that athlete safety is their priority, I have seen it. Um, I've seen it grow from one of my good friends, Rob Connor at Babe Ruth Baseball. Um, we had a conversation years ago when I was at Sports Engine. And he sat down and he's like, we have got to make wholesale changes to what we're doing. We're not going to put athlete safety and background screening and reporting on the back burners here. We are going to put this on the front page of our website and every one of our club's websites across the board that athlete safety is our priority. They increase participation numbers year over year because of this. Um, and they, Babe Ruth Baseball has grown when they were kind of stagnant, if not dropping a little bit. Um, their programs have grown because they have taken, you know, a serious, serious 
understand that athlete safety is a huge thing. You know, USU soccer is doing the same thing. Um, they are making a stand that says athlete safety is a priority. Uh, can, can they do better? Of course. Should we do better? Of course we should. Um, it should be as important within youth sports organizations as where you're getting your uniforms and how you're signing your kids up to play. It should be one, then the other. You're signing your kids up, great. You just send your kid up for, you know, U6 uh, soccer. This is your first time in soccer. Little kickers program, that's great. Here you go. As a parent, read these, watch these two five-minute videos on what you should do. End of story. It should be all part of it. Because once you start that, it's going to be ingrained in these kids' heads, ingrained in the parents' heads, that this is where their expectations are for safety and education within their specific sport. Hi, my name is Charlie Wund, and I'm the CEO and founder of the Agency for Student Health Research. When I started the company over a decade ago, I aimed to help reduce injuries within youth sports. Since then, InjureFree was created as a risk management software platform and has grown to become one of the leading injury reporting platforms used by thousands of athletic organizations and schools nationwide. Our expansive education library and reporting technology provides the tools administrators need to take the pain out of risk management. As a former high school athletic director and youth sports organizer, I understand the regulatory compliance requirements and need for individual accountability. Our goal is to provide a service that does better than checking the box. For more information or to schedule a demo, please visit www.injurefree.com. That's www.injurefree.com. Now, Josh, I think one thing that is a really cool perspective that's a little different from, you know, most of our guests that we've had on this show is that you deal with pretty much everyone in every sport that you could think of. I mean, you've talked to us about sports before in different team meetings that I didn't even know existed until you brought them up. So one of the interesting questions that I like to ask, and I think for you is going to be a kind of a cool answer, is do you see that there is a particular sport that when you go into these meetings, you think is really at the forefront of injury management and prevention? On injury management prevention, <laughs> yes. Um, football is hands down the one that is paying closest attention to this. Um, they are the ones that really, really understand that in order for their sport to continue and continue to flourish in this country, they need to play, pay super close attention to this and literally do whatever they possibly can um, to educate. And I'm you're going to hear me say that a lot because it's educating about hitting, it's educating about tackling, it's educating about all these things that are going to in turn uh, reduce injuries. And whether it's like Charlie said, when I saw some of this data that we have on football, I'm looking at it going, oh my God. So if you just change positions once a game, your, your the potential for injury decreases by 70% because you're not just doing the same thing over and over again. I'm like this is, you know, the light bulb went on in my head and went, huh. This is a great way to get kids, A, more experience playing multiple different positions, but B, reduce injuries because it's really hard in sports to get anyone. If you're a, an attacker in soccer, if you're a keeper in soccer, if you're a midfielder, if you are playing defensive end in football, if you're a right wing, 
what position do you play? Right wing. Okay. All you know is right wing. If you start to play left defense, you're going to learn an entirely different part of the game. And I think that also brings out this more education piece. And it's like, we can actually get parents to say their kids are going to play multiple positions and give the keys to the coach back and say, you don't have a choice. You're going to play, you know, strong safety today. You know, never played strong safety. Well, enjoy, you know, or, or right tackle. And you're, you know, some 70 pound kid going against a 140 pound kid. And that's really probably a, won't a, last long, but that's a good point that you bring up just being able to play different positions. Cause look of all the, you know, four major sports in this country, football is the number one sport where the athlete in their professional career does not play the same position that they've played in either high school or their collegiate career. So it's very uncommon to see that in other sports. If you're a pitcher in baseball, you're going to be a pitcher throughout and through. If you're a center in basketball, hate to break it to you, but you're probably not shrinking down to be a point guard anytime soon. I get that the game in that right has changed, but football, you know, getting to play other positions and learning other skills, one, not only prevents injuries, it strengthens other muscles that you wouldn't use in certain positions. And truly, Mm -hmm. when you expand your repertoire, you're only elevating your chances to go up to the next level and be effective. 100%. Understanding the game, right? You know, you have understanding different aspects of the game, how the offense moves together or the defense works together, those types of things as well. So many benefits. I mean, I think it's just that starting point, right? I mean, how, what is the biggest limitation in your mindset? Why aren't, if, if, if this is where everybody's headed, right? If this is what the future holds and all the benefits that come out of doing these things, why aren't more people doing them? Or are we in this renaissance right now? Um, I think we're, we're kind of in a, in a renaissance where it's, we have the ability to kind of, it, it, is, a, it is a bright, brave new world for organizations. And we really need what our job should be is basically going out and marketing. This is the this is the wave of the future. Um, and if you want to continue to grow your sport, this is what you need to do. And this is how we can help you do it. Um, it's not that hard. And it's getting the parent parental buy in. Um, and most parents are going to buy in. It's takes time. It takes time for them because it, it is a it is a a shift in thinking on every aspect of what we're talking about. Every single aspect of what we're talking about is a shift in thinking from the parent side, from the coach side, from the administrative side. Um, the administrators need assistance to get the, the word down to their, their parents and players. They need help. They're, they're understaffed. They're, uh, their revenues are short. Um, they never have any money. Um, so we need to be there to help them with some of these gaps. If they're coming to help, you know, we're helping them with a few things. Um, they're going to help us with a few things as well. Um, you know, doing the right things for the right reasons is usually not the easiest thing to do. So yeah. when you do the right things for the right reasons, it takes some heavy lifting. And, you know, everyone says yes when you talk about this until you come to a point where it's like, okay, we need to implement. Then they go, ooh. How do we implement this? Everyone yeah. wants a safer environment, but how do we do it? And that's why, you know, what we're doing at Injure Free is so cool because we can help them implement and get the message out to all their parents and all their players that say, we got you. We, we have got you and we're going to support you through this entire process. Yeah, if you roll out a safety initiative and you've got parents that are saying, I think this is a bad idea. Those are probably parents in your culture you don't want, right? I mean, you're, you're figuring yep. out who those people are. But you're right. I mean, that's going to be such a small number at the end of the day that the new parents you will attract will dwarf what you may lose from anything that's systematically improving 
child safety, right? I mean, that's yeah, 100%. The yeah. That is 100% the goal, and it's the the reduction of injury, elimination of abuse in sports at all levels is, I would say, elimination of injury. Because, but that will, we all know that won't happen because it right. just it can't happen. But what we can do is we can eliminate abuse and misconduct in sports. That is something that we that is it. You can have a tangible, uh, a tangible. Uh, process in this and a tangible result here by eliminating and make it a goal to eliminate abuse and misconduct in new sports injuries not so much because can't um things happen but abuse and misconduct we can eliminate abuse and misconduct in new sports within the next 10 years easy yeah well you know i guess that's kind of a good segue to to wrap things up and to kind of get your your thoughts on the future uh, but we always like to end with a, uh, if we are, if you could snap your fingers and overnight and have one change be impacted or be, you know, be implemented or whatever the term is on a broad scale, what would that one change be? What is the one thing that you'd like to see happen immediately? The elimination of text messaging, social media between parents, players, and coaches. And is that uh, all three or is it one-to-one yes. direction that you're looking for? So all three. For, yeah. Just get rid of it all in, within youth sports is that there should be zero contact between a, hmm. a parent and another player, a coach and a player, a coach and a parent with regards to anything outside of you. Actually, forget it. There's other mechanisms. Uh, to communicate that are out there that are very good and very safe and very easy to do. Kill all text messaging and social media within youth sports for uh, as a as a uh, a process of communication between parent, player, coach. Done. Kill it all. And by doing that one little thing, we'll probably eliminate eighty to ninety percent of abuse and misconduct in sports. Certainly closes the door pretty quickly, doesn't it? If that door isn't open, then you know. Yep. Yeah. yeah. You, you you don't even want to see the statistics on that and how these things start. Um, if you if if more parents knew the statistics that are out there between a parent and a or a coach and a player communicating via text and the correlation between them and abuse um, or having some sort of inappropriate relationship happening, they would never ever allow it. But every parent that I've known and I've talked to is like. Oh no, it's fine. It's just, you know, it's coach Jimbo. Okay. Coach Jimbo's a great guy. You don't want him texting your 14 year old daughter at nine o'clock at night on a Saturday. Um, just as much as you wouldn't want your same 14 year old daughter's math teacher texting your daughter at nine o'clock on a Saturday night. Right. Yeah, exactly. Period. Yep. I like it. Well, that sounds like something we can implement from a policy perspective and certainly recommend it, but it's uh, always leading people to the water, right? You can't always make them drink. Yep. So we'll get it's too there. damn easy. Yep. Too easy. Awesome. Well, Josh, we love you. We appreciate you, my man. Thank you for you guys. Uh, spending some time and we'll be out there. Happy to do it. Take care. Yep. Thank you, Josh. We would like to thank you all for listening to today's episode of the safety goals podcast presented by injury free. I'm your host, Justin Torres. And a big thanks to our special guest. And also, thanks to my co-host, Charlie One. To listen to other episodes of the Safety Goals podcast, check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.